Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're on a journey through this glorious book, discovering, rediscovering, and finding truths about the new covenant that is so profound. It's written to Hebrew Christians during the days of the Roman Empire. They were scattered across the empire to encourage them. It may have been preached by Paul and transcribed by Luke. The theology in it reminds me of Paul, and the language in it reminds scholars of Luke. We do know that Luke traveled with Paul, who's read the book of Acts. It happened. So I don't know. Maybe it was written by a woman, Priscilla. Anyway, so don't want to start any debates there. So if you found Hebrews chapter 12, let me read our text quickly, and then we'll look at it more closely. It's only six verses, but let me tell you, they are loaded with meaning. You have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. He's referring to a scene we see in Exodus 19. And the sound of a trumpet. We've not come to this mountain. And the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And here's one of the commands that was issued. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So here's a mountain that was touchable, but they weren't supposed to touch it. And so terrifying was a sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. I am very much afraid. He was afraid. It was, it was an awesome sight. So we've not come to that kind of mountain. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the holy Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Somebody said, can't be counted. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What we often call the, the old covenant is the Old Testament or the first testament. It's the first covenant. It's actually five covenants. God's covenant with Adam, his covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, enlarged upon and laws added to the covenant with Moses and the covenant with David, through whom came the Messiah. God initiated these. These contain promises and conditions. And every single time, the people were not able to live up to their end of the deal. As simple as, you can eat every tree of the garden, you can be fruitful and multiply and have dominion on the earth, but this one tree, don't eat it, lest you die. And so what did they do? They ate it, and death came into the world. And so history is not quite that simple, but yet it really does boil down to that. Here's my promises, and what do we do? So, through Mount Zion, God made the way. But the way to Mount Zion was Mount Sinai, which we'll look at. So let's look at this text a little more closely. 
He said, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. They could touch it, but they shouldn't. That burned with fire. We'll look a picture of what this mountain may have looked like. And to blackness or gloom and darkness and tempest, storm, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, scary words, commanding words of authority, holy words, so that those who heard it, heard what? The voice with words, begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. Moses, you go, you go, leave us here. You, you go listen to that voice. We're talking about Sinai on their journey from being enslaved in Egypt to the promised land. They were 40 years in the wilderness where they were given the law from this mountain. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Here is Mount Sinai, or what's called Mount Sinai, in Egypt. There's another mount in Saudi Arabia that some people are exploring to see if it's possibly that. But here, because on their journey, they both went through the Sinai Peninsula and covered parts of Arabia. Here's what the mountain may have looked like, like a volcano out of which came sounds and thunderings and smoke, and the sounds of a shofar. Exodus 19 says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of a trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked shakily. Can you say shake? And when the blast of a trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. The Old Covenant says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it also says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So God was instituting reverential fear, holy terror. 
and the hearts of his people so that they would see the seriousness of sin and the importance of holiness and the importance of a sacrifice. Can you say blood? Because they were going to screw up. In this book, the writer again and again talks about how the new covenant is better. Starts out with Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. It goes on, he's better than the priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. He's greater than the old covenant. He made the way for the better one. And so in communicating these truths, he comes to Mount Sinai and writes about that and then compares it with Mount Zion. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burn with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. But you have come to Mount Zion. Can you say better? The better mountain. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, in Israel is, is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sometimes gets called Zion. But in Jerusalem is a hill called Mount Zion, separate from the Temple Mount. And in the years before building the temple, David set up a tent on Mount Zion and brought the Ark of the Covenant there and put it in the tent and set up shifts of worshipers 24-7, offering up praises and sacrifices to God. David got a taste of the new covenant, basically. I mean, he should have been stoned according to the old covenant, right? Because of his sin. He tasted God's grace. There were consequences for what he did. He tasted God's grace, and there was this season called the Tabernacle of David on Mount Zion where the Lord was worshipped around the clock. Glorious time, till the temple was built, and then they went back into the rituals and practices that had been implemented in the tabernacle that was, at the time was at Shiloh. And when they built the temple, that's what they did, according to the edicts given on Mount Sinai. But Mount Zion is more than just a hill in Jerusalem. It's a picture of heaven. It's the mountain of the Lord. Implementing fear in the hearts of men, he shows his mercy you know, if you don't know of God's awesome terrors, you have no appreciation for his mercies. Like spoiled children, some Christians just go around living a life of sin with no conviction. They do not understand that sin cost the death of the Son of God because God is holy. So we've not come to Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. He's called the Lord of hosts. The word host is large numbers. He's the Lord of angels we can't count. To the general assembly, sometimes called in certain translations, the festal gathering. This is what we're at here today, a festal gathering, celebrating the Lord, seeking his face, honoring him. And church of the firstborn, what is the church of the firstborn? It's us. Jesus is God's firstborn son. 
and yet his people are called his firstborn. When Moses went to confront Pharaoh, God told him to tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn. What's the deal about being firstborn? Well, uh, your first child is the child that's honored. I mean, you're, that's the child you buy the baby book for, right? That's the child you take of all the pictures for. If you came along later, you maybe felt not as special. But the problem was your parents got burdened down with, you know, more than plural children, and there was less time and focus on all that stuff. So the firstborn is groomed for leadership because they have to help with the other kids. In fact, all of our presidents in America were either firstborn sons or only sons, which makes them a firstborn son, except for one. Our last president was one of those competitive secondborns. So what is that? It's just the principle and the honor of being a firstborn son. That's the son that got the double blessing. When your parents died, you got the birthright. You got two shares, and all the other kids got one share. It doesn't really seem fair. But in our redemption, we are all honored as firstborns, his people. We're the church of the firstborn. Christ is the firstborn, and we are his people, the firstborns, who are registered in heaven, who has their name in the book of life. And I love Mount Zion. To God, the judge of all, he is the judge. And to the spirits of just men, who loves just people, made perfect. So you're in a room full of people who've been justified that the Lord is perfecting. He's making us perfect. There's times when we're not so perfect and we got to minister to one another. Can you say minister? Why? To make us more like Jesus. To Jesus, this is the best part of Mount Zion, to Jesus, a mediator of the new covenant. Can you say the better covenant? The mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling. What is sprinkling? It's the applying of the blood. When the blood was applied, there was sprinkling going on for cleansing, for atonement, for the covering of sins or the redeeming of sin, which is what Christ's blood does for us. That speaks better things than that of Abel. What does that mean? Well, some people think it means Christ's blood is better than Abel's sacrifice. His sacrifice was a first recorded sacrifice, and it was accepted, but Jesus' sacrifice is much better than that. Okay. Some people really hold strong to that. If you do, that's not grounds for disfellowshipping or anything. You have a right to understand the scriptures. But just consider with me what this verse says. The Lord said he was the first person killed, the first martyr, as it will, killed for his faith. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Christ's blood speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood is crying to God from the ground. And what's the result of that? And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Some rabbis say the blood cries out 
on behalf of the generations that will never be born. Abel, we don't know if he had sons. His legacy may have ended right there. And so the blood cries out for vengeance. How does blood cry? Well, blood is a signal. If you come home from work and there is blood running out from under your front door, does that get your attention? Whoa. Danger? I mean, I've got to investigate this to see what this is because my mind's tempted to imagine things that may not be true at all. So blood speaks to us. And blood helps us live. It transports oxygen and nutrients to every cell in our body and transports waste from every cell of our body. It's the ultimate logistics, the transportation system. The blood, like the blood of Christ, brings life to us and carries away our sin. So blood does a lot of things, but one thing it does is it has a message. It speaks. You've been injured. You need to pay attention. Something red is coming out of your finger and your knife slipped or something went wrong. What can I do to stop the bleeding? Because the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So this is why I believe that the blood of Christ, speaking better things than that of Abel, is talking about Abel's own blood that was speaking to God from the ground. And what was the result of that? Cursed. What's the result of the blood of Christ? Blessed. Is that better? It's better. There's a parallel here from the words of Jesus in Matthew 23. He's warning his enemies. He said that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. He held them responsible for what people like them in years past had done to righteous people. Their blood spoke for judgment. You see that? And then in Luke 11.50, he said in a similar consequence, maybe the same one from Luke's words, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. A wicked generation. The last old covenant prophet, John the Baptist, the way maker for the new covenant, was killed by that generation. And what's the cry of the blood? Vengeance! Or if the rabbis are correct, what about my children that are not going to be born? We're talking about Mount Zion, how it's a better mountain. And the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel's. And to Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of a sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is the conclusion of his description of Mount Zion. What does the blood do for us? Well, here's a dozen scriptures that will begin to get us thinking along those lines. Jesus himself in three of the Gospels, in instituting the Lord's Supper, 
which happened to be in an upper room, if the historians are correct, on Mount Zion. Implementing the new covenant from the hill called Mount Zion. Isn't that beautiful? This is my blood, and holding the cup, of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The word remit there points to freedom. When you pay a bill, you are free from your indebtedness. See that? This is the blood of Jesus. He brings us freedom. That's better things than that of Abel's and the prophets, is it not? Acts 20, 28 talks about the church of God, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. When you purchase something, you acquire it. It becomes your possession. You own it. Saints, because of the blood of Jesus, we are God's property. There's more to me than meets the eye. Somebody holds our title deed. Sign in his blood. Amen. Talking about the blood of Jesus, he was set forth as a propitiation by his blood. The word there means to expiate or to cover. You ever a showed of cash and someone covered you? Right? Are you ever going into danger if you're in law enforcement and your fellow officer covered you? That's atonement. The blood of Jesus covers us. And yes, he does more than that. He removes the problem, which is awesome. I remember watching a crazy TV show once and a lawyer storms into the law firm that was going to let him go and he said, you will atone! Saints, we do not have to rant and rave and yell about we needing to be atoned. Just call on Jesus. He's done the work. Romans 5.9 says that we've been justified by his blood. That word means we've been made innocent. Somebody came up with a cute idea, just as if I'd never sinned. I don't like to use that because I did sin. I did, but he made me innocent like I didn't. Ephesians 1, 7, talking about Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The word there speaks of ransom. We were held captive to our sins, to our wicked destinies to the consequences of our actions and the actions of our forefathers and the actions of our neighbors, captive to unforgiveness, and yet the blood of Jesus was paid to pay our ransom. No one has the right to hold you hostage. Amen? Some people, when they get upset at you, they want to keep you on a guilt trip for the rest of your life. They don't have that right. Jesus paid your ransom. Plead guilty. Agree with your adversary quickly and run to the cross. Ephesians 2.13 says we've been made near by the blood. Now, to be brought near, it's the most basic meaning. Dig into it. 
It's a word that means to squeeze. So it's not just, you know, we're allowed to come in the same room with the Lord. That's near, right? No, this is real near. This is like hugging near. We can run boldly to the throne of grace because of his blood. We've been made near. He made peace through his blood. We've been harmonized is what it means. The conflicts are gone. Now, all this stuff being for us, if we're going to live in light of this, better blood, then we need to have better blood. You ever had bad blood between people? You ever heard that expression? Is that expression in Texas or just up in Yankee land? There's bad blood between us. Well, saints, we've been purchased with better blood. Amen. Because of the blood, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We enter respectfully, but boldly, because he made the way. He bought the right. He paid our ticket. Hebrews 13, 12, later in the next chapter, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, did what he did. To sanctify means to set apart for his purposes. It means to be made holy. It means to be purified. Is there anyone here that has some fancy dishes at your house that you don't use every day? How about fancy towels for when company comes? Some people? Sometimes I'll ask, is this for show or for go? (laughs) So those things have been sanctified for a special purpose. That's us. Sanctified for a special purpose. You are not God's Melmac cup. You are his silver vessel. Can I get an amen? amen? Continuing in Hebrews 13, says, Through the blood of the everlasting covenant... This new covenant is eternal. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. That means lacking nothing, making you whole, finishing the job, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. 1 John 1, 7 ends with these words about the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin word purge. You ever do a purging in your house, get rid of all the junk? That's what the blood of Christ was given for us, to cleanse us from all sin. What about my favorite sin? That one too. He's got to go, ladies. She's got to go, guys, if you're not married. They got to go. The blood of Christ was shed to cleanse us. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says that he has washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God. Literally means he's bathed us. We're dirty with sin, 
and his blood bathes us and makes us clear. You know, there's some liberal denominations that are trying to remove songs about the blood from their songbooks. No, 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 no. We'll set fire to this place before that ever happens here. This was built because the blood was shed for us. I don't like it when you say blood. Blood, blood, blood. (laughs) Now, we're not obsessed with hemoglobin, you know, blood corpuscles. We understand the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when you lose your blood, you lose your life, right? So Christ shed his blood or gave his life. And he did it in a way that is visual so that we never forget. Never, never forget. I came upon a car wreck. I will never forget. Because the sight of the blood made an impression. Nobody died, but boy, it was an unforgettable experience. One more, I would be remiss to miss this one. So let's call it 13 verses. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven. This is what it said. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And they, who's the they? Our brethren. Overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So he was cast out of heaven. Jesus saw it. John heard it. It's a present reality. So... Now we have to deal with him. And we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, loving not our lives even unto the death. Well, I still think he has access to heaven. Well, you may have a point, but I think it's through people. Heaven witnesses our behavior, right? And so when we slander and backbite one another, Heaven sees that when we're inspired to falsely accuse one another or just accuse one another, period, of anything. Heaven beholds that. Satan was cast out of heaven to put a stop to it, but he's here, and we've got to put a stop to it. Cast him out of our minds. Notice he did it day and night. The enemy's not creative, but he is relentless. If something rattled you in the past, tempted you and tripped you up in the past, and you overcame, guess what? He's going to come back with a similar or the very same scenario to set you up. To make you think your victory didn't work. Well, it didn't work. No, it did work. And you have to be just as relentless, if not more so. Use the same weapons, use the same strategy, and it'll work again. And then 
after a season, remember he left Jesus till a more opportune time when he was tempting the Lord, he'll come back with the same thing. Tempting you, it didn't work. Who enjoyed a good meal yesterday? Who's thinking about a good meal today? It didn't work. (laughs) The enemy is not creative, but he is predictable and he is relentless. He'll try the same thing. And one common strategy is thoughts. If you're not sleeping good at night, those thoughts rushing through your head are not the Lord. It's the enemy attacking you. Well, I can't help it. Get get up and do something. Well, I need my sleep. I tell you what to do. Who has the Bible on their phone? Get up, go in another room, relax, and put the Bible on, and he'll leave you alone, and you fall asleep. Well, I'd rather just do it in my own bed. Well, it may wake your spouse up. Other people, he may attack with thoughts when they wake up in the morning. Those first thoughts that come in your head may not be the Lord. Or in the middle of the day, a tough day, here comes these thoughts. That may not be the Lord. A vulnerable time you may have. Just be aware. If it rattled you in the past, he'll try it again. Said, oh, it's you again. I resist you in the name of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus was shed for me. Yeah, but didn't they do you wrong? Yes, and the blood of Jesus was shed for them. Well, aren't they your enemies? The blood of Jesus was shed for your enemies. Just allow the blood of Jesus to be applied to every scenario. Yeah, but I was betrayed. Yep. Hello? You know, Jesus... I believe, show me otherwise, but I believe he served communion to his betrayer. And he died on a tree for his betrayer. But the betrayer took matters into his own hands and punished himself for his sins. Sometimes those thoughts are accusing you Sometimes it's accusing someone else to you, but sometimes those thoughts are accusing you. You're a loser. You'll never amount to nothing. You screwed up. Here goes another mistake. Apply the blood of Jesus to your own case, to your own life, to your own heart. And then testify. Be bold about it. Tell the world. That's what he's out to do, to to accuse you, to make you want to talk about somebody else instead of talking about him, or to make you shut up because you feel so worthless. Well, I sinned again. Well, get back up and run to Jesus. Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
You feel weak, he felt weak. You feel betrayed, he felt betrayed. You feel abandoned, he felt abandoned. You feel robbed, he felt robbed. You feel violated, he felt violated. He understands. He was already merciful. Psalm 1, I want to say 138, every verse has his mercy endures forever in it. Every single verse, and his mercy endures forever. But so that he might be a more faithful, merciful high priest, he became one of us. <laughs> so now just, not just by his character, his nature, and his infinite knowledge is he merciful, but now by experience, he feels our pain. I feel your pain. And he does more than just bite his lip. He is compassionate. And he'll tell you who to talk to, to get help, who represents God with skin on that can come alongside you and help you walk through this season and overcome this battle that you're in. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, loving not our lives even unto death. You know, there's three categories for sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Pride of life sneaks up on you. I can't believe he this, or I can't believe she that. Or, My reputation's been soiled. Well, Jesus is waiting for you to come running to him with that one. He knows. He made himself of no reputation. Embrace the cross, brothers and sisters. Become of no reputation. Let this mind be in you, Paul wrote the church in Philippi, that was also in Christ Jesus, who knew it wasn't wrong to be equal with God. He was God, but he made himself of no reputation. He lived as a man, came as a baby, took the place of a servant, and died as a sinner and torture victim. God did that. Watchman Nee said that's like one of us becoming a cockroach. Humbling yourself. He kept humbling himself. And so if we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, remember Romans 8, our favorite verse, all things work together to good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Don't stop there, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we are being called to be conformed to the image of his son. And his son died. Are we willing to die? Are we willing to let our reputation die? I'm preaching to somebody. Are we willing to become nothing so that he might become everything? That's Jesus. He came down that we might come up. He died so that we might live. He became naked so that we might be be clothed. He became sin so that we might be made righteous. He loved not his life even unto death so that we might go and do likewise. Then my life is no longer all about me. I found myself quoting Dan Moeller a lot. He was a guest speaker we had January of 2019, January of 2020. Powerful speaker. Um, he's just a mighty man of God. He says the root 
of offenses and conflict is unmet expectations. Think about it. In your marriage, somebody didn't meet an expectation. In your conflicts, your family, your friends, or whatever, if someone doesn't meet one of your expectations, woo-wee, that's hard to take, isn't it? They betrayed my trust. Well, our trust is in the Lord. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He said that. I think I've said enough, but let me just finish that one. We are to live life as the Lord wills. What James, the brother of Jesus, said, don't make your plan, say, tomorrow I'm going to do this, and tomorrow I'm going to do that. Well, that's just crazy. It's what the Word says. But live every day as the Lord wills. So if someone ruins your day, wrecks your weekend, destroys your month, because of unmet expectations. If you live as the Lord wills, he sees all. Lord, I trust you. I'm going to let this go and give it to you. Because I am going to live every day as the Lord wills. Not my will, but thine be done. Pray, Jesus, may this same prayer be mine every day. Lord, may your word take root in our hearts. And Lord, may we live through the overcoming power of your blood from which comes our mighty testimonies and a willingness to also shed our blood, to let our will go, to lay down our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for every person here that this word would apply to them right where it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if I can remember all of this. You don't have to. What one point touched your heart? Grab it and let it bear fruit. When everything around me is shaking And I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause he's never let me down He's faithful through generations So Still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense, so I won't be going. I'm not held by my own strength, cause I built my life on Jesus, and He's never. See
love this song that we're singing right now because it's a song that is in due season for sure. Um, and I love what Pastor Allen said. Uh, the message was a timely message. We all saints need to get this into our very understanding. We need to get this into us. I've used this before, but I want to cover it again in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is in prison. Now, here's a guy that's filled with the Holy Spirit. He was born for a purpose, that is, to announce the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's why John the Baptist was born. And he's in prison, and he says... He's hearing about the works of Jesus Christ, and he sends two of his disciples, and he said to them, to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? This is John the Baptist asking the question of Jesus. So the disciples go, and Jesus answers and sends back a word to John the Baptist. He says, you go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And listen to this. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Amen. Hallelujah. Now that word offend, offended is actually a Greek word that we take our word scandal from. But what it means is blessed is that person that is not tripped up that is not stared, that is not offended because of me. Saints, we need to understand that. We need to embrace the fact that Jesus wants to bless us, but we cannot take offense. We cannot be snared. We can't be tripped up. No matter what the world is doing around us, no matter what the circumstances are that we find ourselves in, if we're in prison... We cannot be offended because of Jesus. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to do that. We, 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 we think we're not, gonna, we're not going to rely on Jesus in our circumstance. We're not going to count on Jesus to minister to others. And we're all guilty of that. Even John the Baptist was guilty of that. But now is the time that we need to take up that name and never, ever be offended because of him again. Hallelujah. So let's just commit to one another, can we as a church, as a body of saints, let's commit to one another that we will never, ever be offended because of the name of Jesus. Amen. This is what we need to take away from us from here today. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's stand on that firm foundation. Let's sing that again. And let's just commit our lives to Jesus. We will never be offended. Hallelujah. Amen. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me changes, and I've never been alive, that I So I would
Thank you, Elder Greg, for those timely words. Wow. I just want to clarify one thing because someone may leave here thinking we don't believe in confronting people. Someone's offended you. There's a biblical way to confront. Matthew 18, you go to the person alone. In Texas, for some reason, people don't want to do that. They go to everybody else but the person they're upset at. Let's get a backbone and be blunt like them Yankees. And go to someone alone, not with a crowd. And, well, I've seen you confront people. That's true. Come to me and confront me about that. And deal with it. If it doesn't work, then get a witness, one or two others, that every word may be established. But stop living offended. That's not our God's will. That's the accuser of the brethren getting a foothold in our lives. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his countenance to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, turn his face toward you, and give you his peace, his real peace, not a cheap peace, not a peace established on compromise like the world tries to do, but a peace that's established on conquest where the Son of God is reigning over every kingdom of our heart. Amen. Go get them, tigers. Amen. Be reconciled. Live in light of the blood of Jesus.